1: Thank <laughs> you.
0: Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardy. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and my perennially injured midfielder, Nathan A. <laughs> Clark. Hello, Nathan.
2: Some say the Moussa Dembele of this generation.
0: Yeah, Nate, what's happened now? <laughs>
2: Uh, a, a chain of injuries connecting to each other, like that uh, awful bone-descripting song.
0: Bless you, bless you. Keep fighting, mate. You'll be back on that treadmill soon. Um, <laughs> we're we're going to have a bit of a catch-up episode. Uh, we, we, we've not podcasted it as a threesome for a while, and although there's been no football to speak of, it's kind of a good time to have a catch-up on where we are with Jose Mourinho. So... Let's start with Bardi, because I think this will be the least controversial take. Uh, Bardi, how do, you, how do you feel about Jose at this point?
3: Um, I had the, a wave of optimism. And then um, as we approach Christmas, I kind of, even though I put on a, a, a good like, kind of show of being still kind of optimistic and positive, I, I, I wasn't. I started to doubt and I started to listen to um, the points that were being raised. But now, now I'm kind of back in that positive frame of mind. And I'm, I, I think we're doing okay. I don't think we're miles away from the finished product, but I'm I'm pretty happy with the changes that's happened and the fact that we're starting to win football matches again. And do
0: you feel as though, given where we were when Mourinho came in, do you
3: think where we are now is... A success for Mourinho. Yeah, I think so. If you look at the form table and everything else since Mourinho's taken over, I think we're what third, third in the league in terms of points, which was that was it was all about. I don't think this season was going to be anything about um, putting together a stylistic way of playing or changing the ethos around the football. It was all about getting enough points to finish back in the top four and not dropping out the Champions League, which I know we've spoken in the past about. How um, it won't affect us that much, but I think it'll be a huge blow to Spurs if we're not in the Champions League next season. I agree. I fully agree. Um,
0: Nathan, how about you? Uh, you? You were quite down on the appointment, and I think I don't think it was anything. Well, I'm kind of putting words in your mouth. I think it was more about the uh, the. You thought there was some better appointments uh, available at the time, rather than it being particularly about Mourinho. But how do you feel about things a few weeks in? Uh, how and and do you consider what he's achieved so far a success?
2: Um. I'll start with the ends there and that yes there's certainly like uh so when you know he signs a long term contract but his first goal is to like um end the catastrophe that was ongoing at the time and he, and he's done that he sort of uh, arrested our sinking ship um more long term thinking I don't know I guess I'm still sort of uh waiting to see what happens I I was frustrated with his appointment I do maintain that there were better things we could have done um but there are Still positive signs um, and and sort of signs of intention, um, which mean you know that 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 could well prove to 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 prove me wrong. No, not not to prove me wrong, not to prove me wrong, but to to be you know on the better end of that. I I will always maintain that there were better options than Jose Mourinho but it might just turn out to be not as bad as I thought it would be. Okay
0: I I mean I can can totally appreciate the point you're making and I think you're coming at it from a kind of philosophical and tactical perspective in terms of a progressive manager who has new ideas uh, that can bring us as a club into a kind of modern era of playing the right football and running the club in the right way. Do you think there's an element that? Levy felt he needed a character who was not only a kind of a, a, a proven winner as such someone that the players could easily recognise and respect and wouldn't have to Google in uh, Danny Rose parlance uh-huh. who was also incredibly ruthless mm. and and the reason I say that is there was so much work to do in the squad and to me he's kind of got off to a flyer in that respect in terms of what he's what he's ticked off on the to-do list in a really short space of time. Yeah. Do, do, do you think there's a, an argument, Bardi, to say that that was one of the Main reasons that he was brought in, knowing that Mourinho doesn't stick around the clubs for that long.
3: Yeah, I think so. It's like, um, Pochettino was given a fixer upper, uh, this, this house to, to build it and make something great. And he had some tools and it was going well for a while. But then I think towards the end, he just spent too long in Ikea and there was too much <laughs> clutter. There was too many flat packs knocking around and he needed somebody to come in and just, just clear it away. And perhaps this is what we're seeing now. Perhaps this will be Spurs reverting to a, a two, three year, um, cycle on managers. Perhaps like, a Conte would come in next or something like that where we will. maybe the person the big project manager is not going to be our way from now on. I don't think I don't think that's right and I would like us to see maybe after Mourinho's done his kind of wood chopping and maybe one or something then someone come in with a plan but yeah I, th- I think there was a definitely there was a definite need for someone to come in with a fresh approach and um, a, um, a, a personality and the strength of character to actually use swing the axe And this isn't an unusual trait of Daniel Levy's. He's done
0: this quite consistently where he's gone from one type of manager to the polar opposite and back again and back again. Um, So it doesn't feel particularly unusual that he's not picked a sort of similar, a manager of a similar um, style to Pochettino. Nathan, does that make you feel any better about the situation if you sort of think of it in those terms?
2: (laughs) I always found that, that pattern quite odd. And I found it even odder still when you sort of prove... Uh, the value that Pochettino brought and, and the way that football has continued to change in sort of his direction, uh, over the previous year. So, um, it's so I want to sort of revisit the overall point. My, my good friend Tiago says that the only time you can evaluate a transfer is at the time that it happens, which I think is a pretty extremist view, but I, I get the point that, that he's making, which is like, you you can only um, assess a decision based on the information that was available. So sometimes you, you, know, you overpay for an old player and then it happens that they overperform beyond any kind of expectations. And sometimes you buy a promising young player and things just don't work out for them. I think it's all very much the same for managers. So if Mourinho proves his ability to reinvent himself, to modernize his game, to bring the best of what he brought from before and combine it with some modernist... Um, uh, approaches as well and, and does some really impressive things with Spurs then you know absolutely fair plays with him that would be incredible um, but the chances of that happening um, or, or of being able to see that happening beforehand based on his time over the last decade is would be you know and if <laughs> Levy's been certain of that then, then then maybe he has a special kind of sight to these things that no one else can have but I, I don't hmm. see how um, you can confidently forecast that
0: and following on from that, we had a question from Unfit for Spurpus, who talks about the bald Mourinho, the new Mourinho. He says, is this a way of uh, Jose reinventing himself into a new philosophical, ultra-pragmatic shit-housing results-winning machine? And Bronx Spur says, if this is not Mourinho ball we're seeing, what do you think it'll look like next year when he gets to install his own install his own system? Bardi, what do you think Mourinho ball will look like next year? Do you feel like um, some, of, some of the things he's already implemented will be a short-term fix only, or do you think he has a particular style in mind?
3: Yeah, I'd just like to. Or oh, bald Mourinho? It's, it's <laughs> not. Um, it's not the first time we've seen buzz cut Mourinho. I think back uh, at Chelsea, yeah. he went. Um, he went bald, and they they. I think they went on a, a winning streak. Of, and um, maybe cutting his hair has does something to form. But um, yeah. Oh, I lost. My, I lost. I got obsessed with got obsessed with Mourinho's hair, and I lost my way <laughs> so, Like I had over. That's how it works. I, I was just picturing <laughs> his hair. Yes, that's That's exactly how. So you forget everything. Um, I think uh, what we're seeing from Mourinho now, uh, this isn't the future. I think this whole kind of um, left back that that cuts inside and becomes a back three, I think that's probably in part down to a lack of a defensive midfielder and maybe a lack of faith in our centre back. So I don't don't think we're anywhere near um, Mourinho's final result. Fair enough. Uh
0: we had a really interesting email from Conrad Dernvick. Sorry if I've butchered your name, Conrad. Uh but it was around it was around the comparison with Lille and the fact that Mourinho had been visiting Lille. And the idea that they did something similar to us, i.e. they had uh, Bielsa and his approach and then they went to appoint someone with a very different style, uh, who I think believe is Gaultier. Uh, and he asked us to kind of look into this and talk about whether there was a comparison between us and Lille. Nathan, you've done some research. It doesn't feel like it's... Uh, uh, it's probably a little tenuous, would you say?
2: Yeah, I, don't, I thought it was a really interesting question. Uh, you know, to the extent where I thought it was, it was worth looking into and going and watching some little games. But I don't, I don't think there's really anything there. They they play a pretty unique and interesting. So um, they're doing sort of um, a low or even mid-low block occasionally. Um, kind of thing and then their possession game uh is um they 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 control the ball from the back a lot and then they attack down the wings. It is it's interesting, but I I'm not really seeing um any sort of similarity to what Mourinho I don't think I'm seeing anything similar to what to what Mourinho is doing. Um other than yeah we, we share mm. sort of some some stuff and the like.
0: Sure. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of questions and I'm just gonna rattle through them because uh mm. our our listeners really came up with the goods on Twitter. Um these are the oh. Like a a whole range of topics and I haven't really grouped them particularly but let's just go for it. So Richard Joyce says, of the rumoured failed striker targets, Piontek, Giroud and William Jose, would any have been better than signing nobody or or are we better off having left short term and low quality options in favour of using our wide forwards, false nines and maybe blooding parrot now he's signed on? Bardi, what do you think? Are you you still are you glad we signed no one basically? No,
3: well this is a huge gamble for Spurs to have taken. They they opted to sign no one because there was no one that they wanted that, w- that would fit them long term or perhaps even short term. It's, it's a huge gamble and I don't know, we have to wait and see on this one because um, trusting Lucas and Son and then Allowing Parrot to get some minutes—it's—it's it's a, it's a huge—it's a huge ask. And I, I, part of me i am am an eternal optimist with Spurs. I always am. Part of me thinks we'll be fine, but then uh, my heart say, says we'll probably come to regret this combo. But the—the the decision was driven by the lack of uh,
0: available suitable striker in the market, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I do feel as though the point Richard's making there—I'm not even sure if he's making a point—but one of the options he's outlined there that signing no one and using our false nines and giving Parrot an opportunity Uh, that's my preferred route given the circumstances I think I mean I've I've nothing against Piontek I've knew nothing really about him before we were linked him and I just kind of binged on Piontek videos and watched a couple of games uh I, I think he's a he's a functional striker who could have done a reasonable job but for the money they were asking and for the fact that he would have stood in Parrot's way I don't know I'm not convinced that would have been the right move Nathan how do you feel about this situation we've got into
2: Uh, It's really hard to sort of do the comparison of signing, you know, making a let's say generally a low quality signing versus not making a signing at all Um, because we don't know how bad the lack of sort of a recognised forward is going to be Mm. for us it's certainly not been very nice so far Um, you know if it means that we fail to score more than five goals for the rest of the season then yes we should have signed even Piontek who I do think is quite bad Um, so it's hard to pick sort of one or the other I do think that the players we were linked with were pretty poor quality uh, and I do think that Mm. if we bring through parrots then that will have been the best decision um but it's a it's a matter of <laughs> our ability to actually do that it's like should we sell you know uh harry kane when he was at his most valuable christian when, he was at most valuable, when he's the most valuable, Deli when he's the most valuable sure absolutely if we believe we have the ability to replace them which has been you know mix and match over the last 15 years or whatever um so there is a window of opportunity here to bring, bring through a talented young player, um, but we may just not do that either, the worst of both worlds.
0: And I, I think the um the, the biggest element of that is, honestly, if it means we play Lucas in, in central striking position for the rest of the season, then I have a problem with the outcome, to be honest. I, I would rather have signed someone or played Parrot than end up with Lucas playing there. And that leads on to a question from Bryce Cathcart, who says, what role do you see Lucas playing as we begin to get players back? from injury. Do you think he remains a starter? I'll start with you, Bardi. What do you think? I mean, obviously we hope that Lucas moves back to the right wing where he's at his best. Do you think he's a starter there when everyone's fit?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think he remains as a starter and um, as a option. And uh, we'll see Sun and Lucas um, interchange more. I think we'll definitely start with those two and mix and match during the game. And if it doesn't work out, then perhaps we'll see a Parrot or Lamella move into that role. He seems very. I don't think we'll see Delhi play as a false nine, and I don't think we'll see Lamella play as a false nine. Mourinho just doesn't seem to fancy those two there.
0: And Nathan, what do you think Lucas's long term chances are at Spurs? Do you, do you buy the fact that Mourinho was a, a genuine big fan? And be, let's imagine that what he's seen so far hasn't convinced him that Lucas is the player he thought he was. But what do you think? Do you think Mourinho sticks with him?
2: Uh, I don't know about sticking to them. I think that whether I do believe that Mourinho was excited about him because I think he he sees what a lot of people see. Which is this is this incredible raw talent, this ability for a player who can play a variety of attacking positions, whose ability to control the ball is outrageous, to turn in space is outrageous. Who has a ridiculous uh, burst of pace, who has technical skills, and you think, wow, if I can get my hands on this player and, and mold him and coach him and give him some direction, then what a player will be. And then like the previous coaches who thought exactly the same. Tried to mold him, and mm, there's just, mm. there's, you know, he's just a raw footballer. He's just, he's a, he's a streets footballer, and he always will be. And uh, in a modern game, yes, you can have brilliant moments from that, but it, a lot of the time it's going to be very limiting.
0: I tweeted the other day that Lucas plays like an 18 year old and needs a lot of coaching, and I, I stand by that. um We had another question actually from Richard Joyce who specifically asked Nathan, when you scout players online, so not going to see them in the flesh, what's your process? Do you look at what stats say they're good at? and then look out for those features on video or do you watch video and make your own conclusions then see if stats back them up.
2: Uh, I don't have a particular order of which I go. I think I'd normally go to the stats first before I go to the video because it's easier to look at the stats quickly and then have that done. It's and quicker. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, simply as that. Um, I like to think that I don't allow one to inform the other. I like to think that I I uh, view them independently because often, you know, I'll see, um, you know, oh, this player completes a high number of dribbles and then I'll watch the tape and lo and behold, they're, you know, constantly beating people at watch and then sometimes it'd be like, oh, this player puts up a lot of tackles and then you go and watch the tape and it's like okay yeah they're sort of bundling into the ball but they always lose it immediately after they've, they've won it so you, you get a reassessment on the stats so I don't have a particular order hmm. um, I'm not too worried about the order I don't think it, it matters I, I, I certainly like to think that I don't allow one assessment to affect the other
1: it's that time of the year
0: So next question is from Up Top Life, who says, would you agree that a left centre-back is just as big a need as a defensive midfielder, more than full-backs at least? And I guess that's uh, post-Jan Vertonghen substitution. Bardi, what are your thoughts? Do you think a left centre-back is essential? Yeah, I
3: think so. We've seen a lot of teams... The Premier League seems to kind of go from teams that sit deep and play counter to high-pressing. And I don't know if it's just me, but it seems to be more teams who are pressing. So it's becoming more obvious now that... We struggle without a left-sided centre-back just because it makes it easier to to beat a press and it kind of opens up the pitch a bit more. Um, And also because it's safer. If you're getting pressed, you know, the, the best, the worst case scenario, if you're going towards the left, The worst case is it goes out for throwing rather than cutting back inside towards danger. So, yeah, I I think a left-sided centre-back is is probably pretty high up, but not as high as perhaps a right-back or a centre midfielder. It's quite limiting though,
0: isn't it? There aren't many um, top-class left-footed centre-backs around. And if we're kind of putting that as our... Priority category in in the search for a centre back, then you know we're going to be potentially left with the dregs, which does concern me. Na- Nathan, what do you think? Is it is it a, is it of huge importance to have a left foot on centre back, or would you rather just have somebody who fits the system?
2: Uh, well, specifically left footed, um, like generally, that's definitely the trend. But I think you can find like so. <laughs> Toby Adevero can definitely play on the left. The problem is that we need him on the right. Yeah, so if we had two Toby Adeveros, we'd probably be fine. Um, Yeah, I I do think that the left-sided centre-back is becoming something of a priority, but I wouldn't put it as urgent as defensive midfield. Like, yeah, you know, Vitongan appears to be dropping off or whatever, but like Sanchez isn't terrible by any means. I think that like we, we've been a little spoiled with the quality of our center halves over the last few years, because Vertongheny and Aderverrode have been incredible and, you know, they're both signed to, to drop off one more than the other. Um, so like, just because and Sanchez isn't peak Toby Adeverald doesn't mean that he isn't a decent center half. Um, I've said before, you know, I would be playing one fight more than we currently are. Um, it, it, it's up there, but like meanwhile at defensive midfield, um, Dyer and Wanyama are shells, and, and Winks just I don't think is defensively up to that role. Um, and our only right back is um, insane. <laughs>
0: Okay, this one is about our best eleven. So it's from Javad Motherhedi. He says, assuming everyone uh, is a hundred percent fit and match fit, how do you see our strongest eleven lining up this season, including the formation and which positions in that starting eleven need to be addressed? So we're going to assume that Kane is fine again. Bardi, what's your what's your first choice eleven? Particularly now we've got Bergvain in, I guess.
3: Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't veer far from 4-3-3. and obviously we have, will have issues there in. Uh... Um, defensive midfield right back left back but I, I guess it would be a 4 with perhaps Davies or Tanganga who's been great as as that kind of left back who who holds inside for for this season and then a midfield three of Winks, lacelso and Ndombele and then quite controversially perhaps Bergwijn, Son and Kane up front I I'm a bit unsure about Delhi at the moment um where he plays on the pitch, stuff that's happening in his life off the field as well. So I, and I love, I'm a, I've always been a huge Delhi fan, but I'm unsure where he fits in a, in a four three three. Interesting. We'll come back to that in a sec. Nathan,
0: how about you? Are you lining up similarly to Bardi?
2: I think fairly similarly. Um, I'm sort of undecided on, on formation. So my, uh, if you take the back line as given, I think we're all pretty much in agreement of what that looks like. And then uh, Winks as the number six uh, and Dombele. And then that could be a two-man midfield with with four attackers ahead, or it could be a 4-3-3 where he's joined either by Lo Celso or Delhi, And then Sun and Kane make up the final two attackers. I think that that could be a 4-3-3, a 4 3 one sort of a, a blur between the two of those, um, or even a diamond, although people get very upset when you say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's lots of options and, and variations within that.
3: Yeah, I think right now our our best player is is Lo Celso. so we have to basically build a team where wherever suits him the best, wherever we're going to get the most out of him, he has to play in that role, and then everybody else works around that. Obviously, Endobelle should have been the midfielder that we build the team around, but I don't think we can yet. So I think we have to find a system that suits Lo Celso. not one that suits a player who's kind of out of form at the moment, like um, like Delhi.
0: You're right, and it's such a hypothetical, because not only is Kane, obviously, long-term injured, but we've got no idea what's going to happen with Ndombele at the moment. He's um, he's so far from peak fitness, and a player that we can come to rely upon, so certainly for the time being, it looks like the midfield will be Deli, Lo Celso and Winks, hmm. and then Ndombele every now and again, until he gets fully fit, and then we go from there, I guess. Right, but speak, coming back to Deli, uh, so Courtney Davis said, are we moving towards a 4-3-3 formation, and if so, where does that leave Delhi? And then with a similar question from Jimmy Bronze and Benedict Fox says, "Should we have sold Delhi already? Have we missed out on his peak value? What would that peak value have been compared to now?" I don't know if you want to touch on what's happened this week with Delhi Nathan or not. It's up to you. But um, how are you feeling about Delhi? Do you do you think there's an element in that Benedict Fox question that makes you think, "Yeah, we perhaps should have sold him"?
2: Uh, on, on selling him, I go back to what I said earlier, which is like, "Yeah, absolutely, you, you should you should sell players when they're at the highest." value when there's the most excitement for them when there's an offer of a huge sum of money but only if you are absolutely confident in your recruitment to make the best of that which i'm not sure that we are um so you know yes but but only if um and therefore probably not uh on his video i mean you know um it, I, I think it was it was pretty shitty of him, but it was um, not meant to go public. It was meant to just be shared among his mates. Uh, and, you know, he's still relatively young. So um, he's apologised. I think he sort of fluffed up his apology the first time around. Um, but he has apologised. Um, you know, I don't think he's a, a terrible human being. Um, it's just, you know, another thing that he needs to learn from, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable take. Um, it's not nice to see a player that you kind of had begin to really like do something shitty like that. Uh, in fact, it's, it's way worse than not nice. It's What he did was disgusting and completely out of order. And you could tell from his apology video that he was just absolutely full of regret, which so he should be. And I hope it caused him a lot of inner turmoil for those few days where he was in the news and made him reflect upon what he'd done. He is a huge... A public figure and role model for people. Mm. I know that's not his fault, but he is. I mean, he didn't choose to put himself in a position of being a role model, but he chooses to collaborate with brands and get involved in media campaigns that make him one. So I guess in that sure. sense, you know, he's 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 catapulted himself into the limelight. And I think Delhi will get a ban from the FA for it, and I think he should get a ban for it. Uh, and I hope, like I said, I hope he's had a chance to reflect and that he really genuinely meant his ap- apology. And like you said, he's a young man no one's perfect we've all made mistakes and continue to make mistakes and it's how you kind of deal with that thereafter that that makes a difference
3: yeah i mean i i I don't think he, he will get banned but Let's not forget our goalkeeper got pissed up and got behind the wheel of a car. Absolutely. So there's so there's different levels on this. I understand Delhi and everything else, but Hugo has been forgiven. Delhi's done something stupid, and you know we got to move on from it because we forgave Hugo, so Delhi's got to be forgiven. You know, as
0: well. Aurier has you know he's he's been forgiven for his homophobic slurs, and there have been other players in our past. You know, Van der Vaart is a huge fan favourite, but he beat up his wife. The the the, the you know, there's there's an element of fandom that stops you wanting to call out players because you love them as players on the pitch. But I think it's hypocritical to not call them out and then to have views on other public figures. So I I, I think, um, you know, anyway, I'll I'll stop rambling on because it'll bore some people, but... um yeah, Delhi's in a very complicated situation right now. Uh, so, Nathan, we'll talk about the RB Leipzig game. We, you've spoken about it a little bit before, but uh, it was Brian Schaffner said he'd like an in-depth preview of how we match up against them. And he, he pointed out that you sounded pretty pessimistic the last time you spoke about that match. What do you think we would need to do to beat them?
2: Oh god. Okay. Uh. So. Uh. <laughs> this might sort of sound a little bit like like lazy analysis, but I think Leipzig, in fact, the, the Red Bull project are quite different from other football clubs. So, um, whereas you know, like with us, we get rid of Pochino and we replace him with a quite different manager. Although maybe he's sort of modernising whatever. You get the point I'm making is that um, uh, a club style is defined by by their their manager, but but the Red Bull operation, which is sort of overseen as a two club operation by uh. It, it, there's a consistency within their style of both clubs or all age groups, and between managers. All of this is to say um Hasenhusel at Southampton now has Southampton playing in, in a style that was similar to how he had them at at um Leipzig, um, which we currently still see them playing under Nagelsmann. So Nagelsmann came in and started playing his 3-4-1-2 and his fairly quickly got back to his 4222. Not that formations are tactics, but that's sort of a general insight as to the consistency we're seeing between managers and between clubs. Uh so what we're seeing from Southampton, what we're seeing from um the Red Bull teams is this sort of high-medium block with a focus of turnovers out of possession, and then they are also playing um, some sort of intricate, narrow possession stuff as well. So if we look at the troubles that we have had um, against Liverpool, against Southampton, we see where the the scariness comes from. It's their ability to punish us for trying to play through the middle, um, which is why I believe that we will probably see Mourinho set up fairly similarly to how we did against Liverpool um in our own sort of medium to medium low block um, with our own intention of turning the ball over uh, probably where their fullbacks have the ball um and and a quickly you know place on Bergvine whatever in in that way
3: what what are their main weaknesses Patrick Stick, he's their main weakness. <laughs> Go on, buddy. He's terrible. He's terrible. I mean, um he couldn't hit a barn door at Roma and he was just I, I know what I've done now. Oh my god. <laughs> <days. laughs> Patrick <laughs> you exactly, coming. I know exactly what I've done, but um uh, to be honest with you, do you know what I think? Our biggest tactical thing that's happened with this Champions League is the winter break. I'm a firm believer that the winter break break is a is a huge problem for German teams. So that's what I'm I'm putting all my trust in that. And Patrick Stick being Patrick Stick.
0: So you mean that they won't be sharp enough? Yeah, because of their he's, he's yeah, and he's just not very good at either.
3: <laughs> Nathan, what do you think?
0: How do we how do we do damage against Leipzig?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's it's making them play the ball. Not that they are by any means poor on the ball um but not also not being pinned back into our own third so we need to attack them in midfield mm. where like i said before we need to concentrate on turning them over at their full backs um because they like to play uh back inside from their full backs they like to play from fullbacks into midfield and i think that there's some potential vulnerability there um uh, well, Bergvain so- showed
0: signs of being able to do that against City.
2: There you go. So, <laughs> I, I definitely think I would start Bergvain for that game because it's going to be all about attacking in behind. They 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 push up very high. Um, they play at a very high pace. We will be forced to play at a high pace. So, it's it's gonna I think it will be a, a, a tactical game, but also a very physical one.
0: Cool, and we have a question which might make you cry from uh, Bancy Castle, who says, if Lacelso doesn't get injured on international
3: duty, would Potch still be the manager? Bardi. Yeah, I, this is something that I've been obsessing over for the last um, <laughs> the last couple of weeks, and I keep suggesting doing this as a possible pod, but you, you keep shutting me down, Windy. You shut down my creativity all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the Mourinho of um, the exchange. Yeah, ex- exactly. Christ, it's I am. The, <laughs> it's the it's the what ifs of <laughs> it's the what ifs of transfer windows because like if you go all the way back and you you look at the Redknapp era when um we had the opportunity to sign Suarez he would he was available but instead we went for Saha if we make that transfer then do we push on and win the league do you remember we were within, uh, up against city pulling it back balotelli stamped on parker's head everything else that led on from that and then we replace Redknapp with the opposite manager AVB who turns up with his dossier and a very clear idea of how he wants to play football and that idea is built around a defensive uh, a deep line playmaker like Moutinho who we don't sign and he ends up starting the season with Livermore and Huddleston and it's it's a mess but thankfully there was Bale had we had Moutinho partnered him with Bale we probably finished top four that year does Bale stay probably and AVB who's shown now at Marseille now he's finally recovered from Tottenham he's not too bad so it's um we don't know what would have happened to Pochettino but I think perhaps Pochettino still would have ended up getting fired but perhaps not in the same way he probably would have got to the end of the season had um, had Lacazette not got injured so it's it's it is very much a, a what if a sliding doors kind of thing of football that's it and I don't think it's anything
0: specific to to Spurs this feels like there's mm. always a decision isn't there in football there's always a club is always going to have a difficult decision to make at some point and we had that difficult decision Levy did it pulled the trigger he was brave whether LaCelso's injury had that much of an impact I mean if it did he should never have been so reliant on one player I would say um
2: Nathan what are your thoughts um I mean like yeah it's 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 possible I do think and we sort of accepted this previously I do think that like um everything has very much a sell-by date and players become tired of Pochettino and his like uh ruthless attention to detail like <laughs> on the pitch, on training, uh on Tottenham property as a whole, um, and, and the sort of relationship just sort of wear down. Um and I maintain that there are there are issues outside of the fitness of, of lacelso Celso and and, and Dombele, uh and Young as well, all three new signings. Um but I mean yeah, it is it's it's quite possible that if all three players had hit the ground running, um, that things would have been much, much smoother. Mm-hmm.
0: As the uh, Mourinho of the podcast and not wanting to stifle Bardi's creativity, uh, Bardi is very keen to do some, some sort of timeless episodes, which I think is a great idea. Uh, if you have ideas for timeless episodes, get in touch with him at BardiTFC on Twitter. Bardi, why don't you change your Twitter handle to BardiTEI, by the way?
3: I don't know. Um, I don't know I kind of got used to by the TFC. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. that that leads onto
0: the onto the next question
3: about summer. Stop clear-outs. trying to change me. Stop trying to change me completely, Windy. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so Andy Perry says, "Where do you see the summer clear out starting, and what do you expect in terms of numbers of ins and outs to take place this summer?" Um, Nathan, he's already. Mourinho's already hinted that he's wanting to do a lot of business. He's already started the clear out. Really, he he got rid of a few um, in January brought a couple in what do you think is the the first you know what are the first pieces of business he does in the summer
2: i mean yeah it's it's outs before ins isn't it and um you remember when he first arrived and said he was very happy with the squad anyway uh yeah i mean wanyama dyer uh rose if you don't consider him already gone um I I would be looking to move Oreo on, but not until we've, you know, brought in a new right back over the course of a season. Uh so yeah, it, it's there's there's a lot of players to move on and we're having a really hard time moving them on, it seems, over the last, you know, eighteen months.
0: So the the Mac boy on Twitter says, has Sissoko realistically got a future at Spurs
3: now? Do you think he's someone we could move on, Bardy? Um, I think he's quite versatile. He's reasonably useful. I don't think we'll move him on unless somebody comes in with a um a a bid that makes sense for us. Because otherwise, he can kind of play as backup in a midfield free. He we have we have seen him used out wide as well. So unless someone comes in with a ridiculous offer. I think Sissoko stays. Um, Regarding the summer clear out, I think we'll probably lose one of um, uh, Lucas or Lamella as well as he kind of streamlines his forward line as well.
0: Yeah, that seems like a sensible move to keep one of those two because, Hmm. you know, in terms of what they offer the team, it's quite quite similar, in that you don't ideally want either of them starting games. Um, And actually, Lamella's, as much as I adore Lamella, and I really, truly do, he's very unreliable in terms of his fitness. Uh, And Mourinho has got this ruthless streak, which we've been discussing already, so perhaps it's the summer that Lamella moves on. Um, I don't know. In terms of ins, though, how many players, Nathan, do you expect him to sign?
2: Uh, Probably like three. So I think there are like three major priorities, and I just don't see us... Like and the thing with like the bigger the priority is the bigger uh, portion of the budget that they take up and therefore the less other things you can get done right. Uh, so I I wouldn't expect huge huge turnover even if we managed to move on several players because I just don't think that we we do that much business in a single summer. So four absolute tops.
3: Yeah, I think we might see a, a few more kind of loan with options to buy yeah. and then maybe two or three kind of actual outright uh, purchases. Cool.
0: Okay, well, we'll we'll leave it there. We're all caught up uh, and we'll be back soon to talk about actual Spurs matches. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his soundcloud D. Lindner. Do check him out, he's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk And subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would be really